Welcome to PwC's Tax Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Readiness Webcast Series held on March 20, 2019, covering state tax reform implications. The panelists for the webcast were Eric Burkheiser, a partner in PwC's State and Local Tax Practice Group, and the firm's State and Local Income Tax Leader. Jim Manley and Tina Skidmore, both partners in the State and Local Tax Practice Group, and Rebecca Lee, a principal in PwC's International Tax Services Group. This excerpt consists of a discussion of guilty dynamics from a state tax perspective and some state tax reporting issues such as data input. Have a listen. All right, this next uh, um, portion we're going to talk about, we've, we've talked about some of the other provisions. Jim's going to walk us through some of the guilty dynamics around separate versus consolidated and, uh, and the like. So, Jim? Yeah. So, I thought it makes, makes sense to revisit this example, and Rebecca talked about this earlier, but let's revisit it uh, from a state tax person's perspective. Um, we, we've talked quite a bit about the 250 deduction, um, but we didn't spend a lot of time talking about the guilty inclusion. So as we look at this, so clearly um, you know, we talked about separate versus consolidated. So why, why at the federal level do we determine this at a, as a group level? Um, and it's because 951 Cap A, which is the guilty inclusion statute, uh, requires a U.S. shareholder level calculation. So on a consolidated basis, if I were to strictly limit that math to the shareholder by shareholder, I'm going to get a different answer and I, I risk not correctly reflecting the consolidated taxable income. And you can see that in this slide by looking at the top number. So in, Shareholder by shareholder on the left, we see the group guilty is $600, where when I do it under the proposed consolidated return regs, I get a different number. It's $500. So I'm sharing the aggregated losses, and I'm getting a more correct consolidated number. Um, but what this also shows me is, okay, so certainly separate company versus consolidated, I'm going to clearly have a different answer. Mm -hmm. But even in a consolidated setting, when I look at the way the, the proposed federal regs have me do it, I don't calculate, I don't recognize that guilty income at the top level. And our, our picture sort of shows that a little bit, but it doesn't really. If you look at U.S. Shareholder 1, and on the right now I'm talking about the consolidated calculation, U.S. Shareholder 1 and U.S. Shareholder 3, the regs, the regs essentially take anybody that has positive tested income, that's who's going to get the guilty inclusion, and it's going to be done into this consolidated pro rata basis. So when we think about, okay, so now I'm going to prepare my state returns. I have a consolidated federal return that I'm looking at. What's my starting point in a separate company state? Many times we just look at it as the strip return, like the pro forma white paper detail on a consolidated federal. That's usually my separate company starting point. If the federal consolidated return is prepared correctly, it's going to have these numbers reflected, uh, and that's not going to be our starting point for a separate company state. So um, even if when, now when we're looking at the federal consolidated return, if it's done correctly at the, at the, using these, uh, these regs, we can't really use that as a starting point for our federal return or separate company state return. Now, even in consolidated states, if I have a different group than my federal consolidated group, which I often do, but they adopt these same 1502 concepts, now I have to take this calculation and redo it on a group basis. So I have separate versus consolidated, but I also have potentially different consolidated. Now, how many different consolidated groups do I have? That might determine how many different calculations I do. Um, we also have, I mentioned under 163-32 regs, um, I think the proposed regs here also talk about um, a, a dash 32 concept with guilty. So 
if I were to sell the stock of a CFC, these regs tell me that right before the sale, there's a, there's a difference. There's a proposed adjustment under Dash 32. So again, for separate return purposes, if we were to ever sell this, we, we, were, we are going to have our different basis, but we would expect that in separate return jurisdictions. And same thing on consolidated, um, we normally wouldn't expect that. But if it's a consolidated state, to your point earlier, that doesn't adopt all these 1502 regs, then now we have a different, just like under Dash 30 or under 163J, we may have a different basis adjustment that we now need to worry about. Um, and the last thing, sort of the big thing that we talk about for guilty is, so now we've calculated the right number for state purposes, whether it's separate or consolidated, do I get a deduction for it? Is it a dividend, do I get a dividends received deduction? Um, you know, guilty, although it looks like subpart F income, isn't subpart F income. So will the states allow their subpart F income rules to apply to guilty? Depends. Will they allow me a dividends received deduction? Maybe. Um, if I get a deduction, do I have to worry about expense disallowance? Mm -hmm. I think anytime we have a big chunk of income with guilty could be that gets, dis that gets deducted from my state tax return, I think we always have to worry about expense disallowance. Um, so I, I think there's quite a lot of state issues uh, to deal with on the guilty inclusion calculation before we ever even get to the subtraction. Yep. So I want to now take a little bit of time to talk about um, uh, getting away from some of the technical rules, talk about some of the more um, sort of the pedestrian aspect of getting the right numbers on the tax return. So some state tax reporting issues. Um, so the, the 2017, what I found in doing 2017 compliance when we primarily had to deal with just toll charge. Um, the reason the 2017 compliance was so difficult, um, I, I thought there's three primary reasons. One, we have conforming and non-conforming states. So no matter what the federal return looks like, we're always going to have state differences. So we're going to have to do something on certain states to make it look right. Um, that's, that's fairly new to us from a state perspective. Um, the toll charge presentation on the federal return last year was not in line 28. It was on a separate state or a separate statement. So now we have states, even when they conform, it's not in our traditional starting point. So we had to find ways to get the right numbers into the state tax return. And then, of course, because all this is new to everybody, uh, those numbers at the federal level kept changing. Um, and we'd get them as a state guys, we'd get them after the federal team is done and they say they got to change it again. So running all that again through all the state rules and getting it on the state returns, iteration after iteration made the compliance very, very difficult. So as I look forward to 2018, what this slide represents is what I think companies are going to have to wrestle with as a compliance process in 2018. Now, the first step is getting our federal tax reform calculations. So we start with the federal group. Now, we've talked quite a bit about how these numbers can be very different federal versus state. So we have to make sure we have the right starting point um, in the very first box. So that's, that's a big challenge, and that's something I think state tax professionals really need to pay attention to, make sure we have the right starting point or everything that comes after this is not going to work. It's going to have to be redone. Now, last year in 2017, we had one primarily one adjustment, the toll charge. This year we have a lot of new ones, the FDII 163J and Guilty we've been talking about. There are others, but now we have to track the state's rules around those, and we have been. So we have different, we'll call it 50 states or 40 plus states uh, research matrices that every company is having to maintain for all of these different modifications mm -hmm. now. So we take our federal numbers and we're going to have to filter them through all these different rules. And as a result, we're going to have to create uh, 
quite a few new work papers, new state work papers, state guilty work papers, 163J, dividends received deduction, FDII, just to name a few. These are all brand new work papers that are going to, uh, we've never had to do before. Um, these work papers are then going to calculate the correct state modification state by state. Okay, so um, part of the issue here to me is, okay, so that's giving me my correct modification. Um, now, when I talked earlier about how guilty is presented on the federal return, we have to pay attention to how the federal team does it. So if they follow the consolidated return regs, then I know that the guilty that I see on these pro forma state returns is not the right number. Um, 163J is going to be done a little bit differently. That's probably, we're going to see that at the consolidated level as a, maybe an ELIM column. So we have to know what we're starting with so that we end up at the right point on the, Fed, on the state returns. So we've calculated our state modifications, and then how do we get those on the tax return? Uh, because some of these federal components are built into the federal return this year, um, we can anticipate some of the state software trying to get it right, trying to carry it over from the federal return to the state return. But, I mean, I think we've talked about all the complications around these things. I don't know that they're going to do it that well. Um, and I think a lot, of, a lot of cases, they're just not going to do it at all. So it's going to require a lot of manual entries of these state mods to get it right. What are the state forms going to look like? Will there be, the, will there be a line item to accommodate all these different? Um, and a lot of these issues, some of them aren't going to be technically clear. So do I get a deduction for guilty? Am I going to allow a, a DRD? That could be company by company determination. Software is not going to do that for you. So um, maybe there's not a place for it. You're going to have to find a place for it. So getting the right numbers on the tax return is going to be um, a pretty manual intensive process, I think. And I think the thought process is, like you said, Jim, clients being able to pull this off within a consolidated return, all of these calculations on a pro forma basis, it's probably not realistic. I mean, it depends on how complicated the structure is and how many um, different issues they're dealing with. If they have a, a simplified structure, you know, domestically and globally, maybe it's not as much of a challenge. And they can run some of these calculations through on a pro forma basis. But I think the prevailing thought is, a lot of these calculations are going to be outside the system, maybe in Excel, workbooks, and the like. So getting that to forms, I think, is kind of where you're going with it. It is, absolutely. So what we see here is a sort of a relatively simplistic um, depiction of what I would call an automated process. And we did this last year internally uh, with toll charge. And, and the way this works is we take, again, we start with the same number, federal tax reform calculations. So again, it's always going to start with that, getting the right data. But then we get it in a way that is standardized. So we put it into templates, and then we use uh, what's called extract, transform, and load software. It's just a type of software. There are various uh, uh, providers out there. And we built what we'll call a state tax reform platform. And I think of it as a database. And so we, we embed into this database the state-by-state -state rules uh, that exist at the time that we're doing this. And the concept is we take our standardized inputs, we run it through our database, and what it gives me on the other side is it calculates my state mods for me. Um, and we've designed the output to also be in a format where we can then sort of roll it over as an input into the return reporting software. So oversimplifying it, it's hitting a button, it runs through our state tax reform platform, we roll it into the reporting software, and it gets on the right spot on the state tax returns. Now, um, it's not going to do it for every one of these mods, but we're trying to capture as many as we can. Um, you know, part of the state tax reform platform that I'm describing, the reason we're doing that is a couple of reasons. One, it gives us better control uh, over the process. 
If these rules change, and at the state level they're changing constantly, and then we see new proposed regs come out at the federal level, we have to keep all those changes um, current. So by creating this database, we're not having multiple spreadsheets that we have to go and update each time. So it gives us a little better control over the changes. And it also more efficiently allows us to process these changes. So again, going back, I fully anticipate the federal numbers will keep changing on us. And so once we've got our database built, we can more efficiently um, incorporate these changes as we go along. Um, Rebecca, I know from the ITS standpoint, you guys are dealing with a lot of data input too. What are you seeing? I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, first of all, candidly, all of this is terrifying. Um, and the reason that I think it's so interesting, and maybe it is an opportunity for our clients, is that when we think about the core data that we're using to compute all of the federal calculations and then on which you're going to piggyback to be able to sort of disaggregate that information to run the state calculations, it's all about three things, data quality, data controls and procedures, and the degree to which you can bring automation so that you have fewer manual touches within that data, so that the data that you're trying to extract and work with from a state standpoint hasn't been manipulated or corrupted through that process. And this is one of those things I feel really passionate about. A lot of our clients out there on the international side who use our platform, uh, Beacon or now Beacon Plat uh, Platinum, have all of their data within our system and it's disaggregated on a, for example, CFC by CFC basis. So all of that core data which is being extracted from the trial balances and the general ledger accounts is then there and able to be manipulated. Um, and to me, that's one of the biggest areas that I think automation makes a huge difference around is the concept of being able to have a core data set, to have it arranged in a standardized template, and then being able to bring to bear multiple applications that can either extract that data and then manipulate it for tax return preparation, either federal on a consolidated basis or state on a separate or consolidated, depending on how you guys do it but also being able to do some other things, like being able to do planning, being able to do roll forwards. Um, and so that's, to me, as much as this has been really scary, the ability to bring technology to bear to make it less scary and more manageable has been pretty exciting in my yeah, practice. Yeah, redu reduction of risk, reduction of cycle time, right? Changes keep coming in right up to October 50. Okay, well, just give mm -hmm. us the numbers. Let's run them. Let's automate it, right? Get them the way they need to be. So, great. Uh, we, we have a short video here that we're going to run in a minute just to give people a sense of the type of automation that I'm talking about so they can sort of see the process in action. Um, so I think we're being told you need to enlarge your screens if you want to see that um, as we, so we get ready to run that. Um, you know, you, Rebecca, you mentioned, um, you mentioned uh, planning. I think it's a great, I've been talking about compliance, but using this as a planning tool Absolutely. also is great. Okay, so I think we're running it. So this is what we're seeing now, and this is basically spreadsheet based. So what we're seeing is a standardized template that takes our federal, um, our federal input numbers and we put them in a standardized place, entity by entity, take all the various components mm -hmm. and we get it organized. Um, and this is consistent across all taxpayers. So regardless of how it looks when the federal team kicks it over to us, we need to make sure it looks like this when we start, um, as an example. Okay, so we then take it and we run it through our state tax reform platform uh, which we, we don't have that, but this is the output of the state tax. So it's, again, spreadsheet format, mm -hmm. uh, but what we're seeing here is a state-by-state -state modifications, customized uh, for, these, for these numbers and for this taxpayer, okay? And we take that, you really just drag and drop what you're seeing here is we drag and drop that output into the tax return software, and what that does is it takes these mods and essentially puts them in the right spot on a state tax return. Now we've we sort of customize this to tell it where to put it. 
Um, and if there's not a place for it on the state return, we've created a place for it. But what you'll see here in a second is when we run the processing return, we get a tax return that has the mods either in the, in the specific place or in the general addition subtraction line items. And then through this process, we're able to create sort of customized descriptions um, that we'll see back in the detail of these. So that instead of just saying other, when we look at the detail, now we can customize it to say, you know, repatriation, section 78, you know, we can customize it any way we want to so that we have more detail now for the states to see and for us to, if we go back and look at these things, know what we did. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, demonstration of automation, how to digitize and uh, do things more efficiently. So if you could describe some of the state tax considerations associated with actual distributions. I know we sort of stayed away from 965 because we had covered that in a prior and we only have an hour. So just if you can maybe give some thoughts around what companies should be considering as actual distributions are coming in. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, very consistent with the theme that we've been talking about here, where you can't just simply rely on the federal numbers. It's not going to work. Um, when when taxpayers repatriate PTI, um, as we think about it from a state tax perspective, it's not on the front of the federal tax return. And it's in there buried, but it's not part of line 28 or it's not part of line 30 because it's already been previously taxed. When we have states that, doesn't, that did not conform, as an example, um, that is going to be considered a foreign dividend. And mm -hmm. so we need to find a way, just like last year, we need to find a way to get that on the tax return and apply the correct rules to it. So just to keep going on that, um, so I think the first step to me is knowing that we actually have repatriated. So as the state tax team, um, we're, you know, we're down the line. We have to make sure we're asking that question of the federal team. Did we repatriate any cash this year? The federal team, because they've already considered it to be PTI, aren't going to be overly focused on it. They might be from mm -hmm. a foreign tax credit perspective, maybe, but um, generally they're not going to be worried about it. That was last year. But we as a state team definitely need to know that. Um, so then it's a foreign dividend. So we got to get it on the tax return and we got to apply the right foreign dividend rules, dividends received deduction. Um, just like we considered last year for the toll charge, are there any apportionment implications? Um, these numbers can be big, just like the toll charge was big. Uh, now we're starting to see repatriations of pretty significant dollar items, so we need to be concerned if we're not getting a full DRD, then should we be getting apportionment um, dilution? Um, any expense disallowance? Again, as I said earlier, anytime we have significant items of income that get excluded from the tax base, and this could be one of them, um, we always have to concern ourselves with expense disallowance. Um, and then at the federal level, when we repatriate federal tax PTI, we have, so that's not going to be in the front of the return. But what will be in the front of the return potentially is tra uh, foreign currency translation gain or losses, mm -hmm. 986C. In states that have conformed, um, or states that, that have not conformed, if they haven't conformed, I now bring that in as a foreign dividend. So I have to bring that item in, but I have to take out any translation gain or losses out. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot of disconnect still on um, repatriations and PTI when they come back between federal and state. Good stuff. Well, we sort of saved, we've got about a minute, uh, two minutes left. So we saved these uh, last items while they're, you know, they're very important. We wanted to make sure we covered off on the, the primary items that were the subject of this and that most people are concerned with. So I think, Jim, you covered off on, you know, one of the primary items we wanted to make sure we addressed, which was distributions. I think the other one I'll just take here quickly is, um, is not, Section 965 is the final regs have come out on 965. 
Um, their uh, treasury is effectively allowing companies to go back and do some analysis around basis shifting elections as it relates to what they had done on their 2017 returns. So long story short, there's a, there's a, a deadline associated with they're allowing companies to, to make a change to that basis shifting election. And so as a result of that, companies may be filing amended returns to adjust that basis shifting election. So want state tax folks to be aware of that, um, that if your company is going to go ahead and amend here in the short term, and the deadline's fairly quick here, it's up in May, in terms of being able to adjust and amend that return. Um, and as we all know, if the federal return is amended for certain provisions, you need to think about amending state returns as well. So with that, I just want to uh, thank everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the speakers. You can find their contact information in the description of this episode. Thank you.